our trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. You know, this isn't an easy time to be a truth seeker. (laughs) Who am I telling you, right? Who can you trust? What can you trust? Can you trust your own eyes, your own senses? Can you trust anything that you uh, consume in mass media? I don't know. These are the kind of questions that uh, truth seekers are asking themselves. And, you know, here's the funny thing. There are no easy answers right now, but I will tell you that there is a very sincere and earnest effort to stay tethered to reality, to think clearly and independently during time of crisis. That's what uh, that's what this program is about. I am speaking not to the masses. They don't want to hear this. This is not their thing. I'm speaking to the individuals, uh, probably the, the kind of individuals that, uh, you know, Isaiah from the Old Testament would have referred to as the remnant. The ones for whom truth is more important than comforting lies or just simply the sense that, well, as long as somebody else is shouldering the big decisions, you know, I can I can go on and, you know, live my life, you know, binging on Netflix or whatever the case may be. Whatever the reason you found this program, I'm grateful that you're here. Some great sponsors make this show possible on a daily basis. It would mean a lot to me if you would drop them a message or better still, you know, do business with them as uh, your as your opportunity uh, permits. They include HSLAmmo.com. Spencer Worthington is one of the greatest guys I know. And if you uh, were to buy ammo from him, you'd be doing not only yourself a favor, but you'd be doing me a very solid one as well. SewingAndQuiltingCenter.com, MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, and also the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. So I had a, I, I had a number of thoughts going through my head as I was starting out today, and You know, here's the hard thing. I really want to bring you the best information that I can. I I want you to be informed. I want you to be like, ah, I saw that coming. Not because I listened to Brian, but because I I think for myself and I'm aware of what's going on. But there's the flip side of that coin is there is not a surplus of good news going around today. So as much as I'd like to tell you, hey, you know, good news, everybody. The uh, oil land we bought that unfortunately was so full of diamonds it wasn't producing any oil. <laughs> you know, there's the good news. No, I uh, I don't have a lot of great news for you today. There's a lot that is teetering on the brink. But I want you to understand that uh, this is the time when we really need people to speak up. This is the time when people need to be willing to go beyond just, you know, passively absorbing whatever's coming at them from the boob tube, you know, to tell them what to think. It's not just a matter of holding correct opinions or uh, being based in reality. It's also a matter of, you know, what can you do to better your situation? Saw an article from Scott Ritter. I'm not going to be able to share it on today's show, but he says there has never been a time when national discussion, a national discussion rather, has been more essential to the continued survival, not only of the American people, but all humanity. And he's particularly talking about uh, the, the growing conflict with Russia. He says, if this discussion could occur armed with the full range of facts and opinions relating to Russia, well, he says, then uh, there might be hope that reason would prevail and that uh, all nations would walk away from the abyss of our collective suicide. Unfortunately, 
He says the American experiment in democracy is not conducive for such near-term embrace of sanity and reason. It's because in the rush towards canceling Russia in the name of defeating Putin, we've allowed emotion to replace common sense to the point that people are ignoring the fact that Russia is a nuclear power willing and able to use its Armageddon-inducing arsenal in defense of what it views as its legitimate national security interests. Now, I listened to Scott Ritter because Scott was one of the very few sane voices during the build-up to go to war with Iraq. And he was right. He was absolutely right, but you would not have known it for all the consensus and, you know, all of the the, uh, cheerleading that was going on on the part of American media and various foreign policy experts who were determined to have their war with Iraq. So he ends his article with a quote from uh, Ferlinghetti. Pity the nation whose leaders are liars, whose sages are silenced, and whose bigots haunt the airwaves. I know there may be people say, well, Brian, that's you. <laughs> you're, you're the bad guy. Perhaps. But I'm going to be the bad guy who goes down swinging as far as I, as, as best I can, trying to get people to at least consider that there may be more than what they're being told through most of the media sources. Do you notice what I did there? You don't have to agree with me. It's possible that I'm just as wrong as can be. But I'd like you to be able to make your own mind up rather than insist there's only one way to see this, and that's my way, and if you do anything more, well, then you are, what, one of Putin's stooges? I don't know what all the what all the favorite cuss words are right now to, to denounce people who aren't, you know, in, in lockstep with what's happening. So I want to start a little bit uh, with the, the Ukraine crisis. Even though I know it's it's dominating the news cycle, not to tell you what to think, but to give you some ideas of who are the winners and the losers when it comes to this crisis. For this, I turn to Jacob Hornberger from the Future of Freedom Foundation, FFF.org. Now, Jacob Hornberger says, hey, there are a lot of people on the losing side. By the way, you and I, we're on that losing side right now. There's only one big winner in the Ukraine crisis. Care to guess who, who that winner is? Yeah, if you said it's the U.S. National Security Establishment, that's the big winner. Cheering from the boardrooms at Raytheon and you know, the other weapons manufacturers, they're going to be in business for a long time. Business is good. Let's talk about what that means for everybody else, though. Jacob Hornberger says, let us examine winners and losers in the Ukraine crisis, and let's start with the losers. The biggest loser are the people of Ukraine. They're being killed, injured, and maimed by the Russian invasion of their country. The invasion is also destroying their homes, businesses, and, well, their entire country. The Ukrainian people are the big losers also because of the person they have as their president. Volodymyr Zelensky. Yes, he says, I know the mainstream press in the U.S. particularly compares Zelensky to George Washington. But he says the fact is Washington would never have sacrificed his own citizenry for the sake of pleasing a foreign power. But that's what Zelensky has done. He's willing to sacrifice tens of thousands of Ukrainian citizens for the sake of pleasing bureaucrats within the U.S. government. And after all, is, after all when all said and done, he says Zelensky was faced with a choice. You give up any interest in Ukraine joining the, the old Pentagon, CIA-controlled Cold War dinosaur known as NATO, or suffer a deadly and destructive invasion by Russia that would inevitably wreak massive death and destruction in Ukraine. 
Now, Zelensky chose his love of NATO over his loyalty to the Ukrainian people. When he chose NATO, he knew full well that the price of that choice would be a Russian invasion that would kill, injure, and maim tens of thousands of his countrymen and destroy untold amounts of homes, businesses, and infrastructure. Jacob Hornberger says, I sure wouldn't want him as my president. There are some things worth fighting for, such as liberty, but to fight for the right to join an old, corrupt, bureaucratic, Pentagon, CIA-controlled, Cold War dinosaur like NATO is not one of those things that's worth fighting for. It's also not worth sacrificing the life of even one citizen. So why did Zelensky choose NATO over the Ukrainian people? Well, Jacob Hornberger says, My hunch is that the Pentagon and the CIA induced him in some way to go with them rather than with the Ukrainian people. Regardless, the fact is that if Zelensky had instead chosen to reject the old Cold War dinosaur NATO, all those dead Ukrainians would still be alive because Russia would never have invaded Ukraine and the country would still be intact. Another loser are the people of Russia. Their government is now mired down in a deadly and destructive invasion of a foreign country, much as the U.S. government has been mired down in foreign wars in Iraq, Afghanistan, Vietnam, Korea, and elsewhere. Troops are being killed, leaving family members back home grieving. Other troops will return home maimed or severely injured. The Russian economy is in a tailspin because that's what wars do. Brutal U.S. sanctions will impoverish and possibly even kill Russians, including children, just as they contributed to the deaths of hundreds of thousands of Iraqi children in the 1990s. Now, the American people are also losers in this crisis. With the strengthening of the national security state, the Cold War-era destruction of their rights and liberties will become more solidified. Federal spending, debt, and inflation will continue soaring out of control Individual consciences will continue to be stultified as people continue to defer to the national security establishment to keep them safe and secure from the ever-shifting array of scary enemies that the Pentagon and the CIA continue to engender, with the latest being Russia. Perhaps worst of all, many Americans continue to embody the words of Johann Goethe, none are more hopelessly enslaved than those who falsely believe that they are free. I gotta take a quick break here. We're going to come back to Jacob Hornberger's column here in just a few moments. And look, I get it. If it's if it, this is causing you some discomfort, that is absolutely normal. And remember, you are under no obligation to agree with or even believe anything that you're hearing. All I'm asking you to do is consider if there might be something to this point of view that can add to your overall understanding. We'll be back right after this. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Before I continue with Jacob Hornberger's article, I'm just going to take one moment here, and I'm going to tell you about the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, located in St. George, Utah. It's a really interesting time for anybody who's in the, in the market for a home. And right now, there are a lot of people moving into the Intermountain West. And if you're anywhere within the state of Utah and you either are purchasing a home or you want to refinance your home or maybe do a reverse mortgage or something like that, you should talk to the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah. Why? Well, it's very simple because Heather has decades of experience in the lending industry. She has a company that has the clout to get you the loan you need. And with her expertise, you can get it quickly. And time is of the essence in a very competitive real estate market. So 
You can stop by 619 South Bluff Street in St. George. That's where her office is located. You can contact Heather at 7, at, uh, let's try the area code, 435-703-4522. Heather's NMLS ID is 715-386. And Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. So I'm sharing this article here from Jacob Hornberger about the winners and losers in the Ukraine crisis. The Ukrainian people are losers at this point. The Russian people are losers at this point. The American people are losers at this point. And Jacob Hornberger asks, so are there any winners in the Ukraine crisis? And a matter of fact, he says there is one big winner. That big winner is the U.S. National Security Establishment, the entity that brought about this crisis in the first place by threatening to absorb Ukraine into its Cold War corrupt dinosaur NATO knowing full well that Russia would invade Ukraine to prevent U.S. military bases, missiles, tanks, and troops from being established on Russia's border. Now, he says, consider the benefits of the Pentagon's and the CIA's malevolently ingenious gamesmanship and political strategy. Americans are no longer discussing the Pentagon and CIA's decades-long, deadly, and destructive occupations of Iraq and Afghanistan, along with all the lies that undergirded them. Oh, that's all ancient history now. The focus is now on Russia and its supposed plans to conquer the world. It's essentially Cold War redux, with Russia, rather than the Soviet Union, as the new official boogeyman that supposedly is coming to get us. Now what this means is, no more discussion of reigning in federal spending and debt, not when ever-increasing amounts of taxpayer-funded largesse must continue to flood into the defense establishment in order to keep us safe. I mean, how else can they protect us from the red, I mean, the Russian menace? Jacob Hornberger says, consider the perfect storm of official enemies and crises that the Pentagon and CIA have engendered. There's the war on communism that's reflected by Red China, North, North Korea, Cuba, possibly even Vietnam. It used to include Venezuela, but now the U.S. media is reporting that U.S. officials are now seeking Venezuela's oil, which they need to fund their own war machine. Therefore, U.S. officials will soon advise the American people that Venezuela has moved from the ranks of official enemies to the ranks of official friends. And then there's the war on terrorism and the war on evil. There are still countless terrorists and considerable evil in the world to eradicate. There's the war on Muslims and Islam. Don't forget the Muslim conspiracy to establish a worldwide caliphate that stretches back centuries and that aims to bring Sharia law to American communities. And then there are the many scary subsidy threats to America, represented by Iran, Syria, drug dealers, illegal immigrants, and many more. All these scary monsters are supposed to remind us that we need the Pentagon, the CIA, and the NSA more than ever. We'll just have to delay the restoration of our founding system of a limited government republic a few decades longer so the defense industry can keep us safe while it continues feeding at the public taxpayer-funded trough. And we'll just have to delay the restoration of our rights and liberties that the national security state established has continuously uh, uh, destroyed ever since it was brought into existence to fight its Cold War racket. I mean, that's a pretty harsh reality, right? Jacob Hornberger says, yep, the Ukraine crisis has produced lots of losers and one big winner. Okay, I want to shift gears here. And I want to touch on a subject that is very painful and near and dear to each one of us, assuming that you have uh, gassed up your vehicle within the last couple of days. If you want to really understand the frustration you're feeling at the gas pump, you have to understand all of the political maneuvering that's going on behind the scenes. 
Jordan Schachtel at his dossier substack says, Welcome to the controlled demolition of American energy. And you're starting to hear this talk about energy transition. He says, Welcome to the controlled demolition of American energy, or as our ruling class alludes to it, the energy transition. Since the beginning of the Biden presidency, there have been competing forces in the White House going back and forth over the energy future for America. On one side, you had somewhat rational minds that recognized the necessity of continuing to produce reliable energy in America. On the other side, there were forces for the regression of human civilization, arguing that fossil fuels were destroying Gaia, and therefore humans need to be made to sacrifice for the supposed health of the planet. So in a press conference yesterday morning, President Biden all but declared that the eco-radicals in his administration had won this fight, spiking the football on this issue, on the same day that America registered the highest gas prices in U.S. history. In blaming Russian President Vladimir Putin for our record energy prices, Biden declared it should motivate us to accelerate the transition to clean energy, adding, this is a perspective, as I said, that our European allies share and the future where together we can achieve greater independence. Now, Jordan Schachtel includes a number of uh, tweets and, and different news stories to help back this up. This is exactly what the president was saying. There's that energy transition phase again. He says, now, if you've been reading and hearing that motto frequently, you're not alone. What exactly do these forces mean by this energy transition they keep referring to? Well, he says, for the past several years, the ruling elites have been getting together in Davos, Paris, and elsewhere, deciding without your consent that removing reliable energy from our lives is absolutely necessary to combat the climate crisis. And they claim this crisis, which just so happens to result in the massive accumulation of centralized power, is the most important issue facing the world today. Virtually every powerful Western government has embraced the need for accelerating away from reliable energy and into unreliable clean resources like solar and wind farms. Now, Jordan Schachtel says Joe Biden and his handlers don't want to restore energy independence to America and alleviate the suffering that's being experienced by millions of Americans. They can't do that because it would jeopardize their energy transition. Simply put, the people in charge right now are participating in a controlled demolition of America's reliable energy source resources. And the well-being of the American people is being sacrificed for this agenda. Policies and mottos like Build Back Better and Green New Deal and the energy transition all allude to the eco-radicalism that the free world seeks to impose upon its citizens. Free world, by the way, in quotes. Most of these slogans and ideas are dispersed by the World Economic Forum, which serves as the narrative shop and think tank for these leaders. Meanwhile, by the way, and he backs this up. He backs this up with, with again, more documented resources showing that, uh, yep, they're talking about it. They think this is what we need to do. Meanwhile, he says the Davos Climate Suicide Pact is more than welcomed by adversarial governments in Russia and China, which are more than happy to monopolize reliable energy and improve their geopolitical standing on the world stage. In fact, perhaps the primary motive for Russia's invasion of Ukraine comes via Moscow's energy monopoly over Europe. Our newfound record energy prices should serve as a wake-up call for what these energy transitionists have planned, not only for Americans, but for the world as a whole. We will be talking about this in a little bit more detail further on in the show. 
So I, I wish I could take away the pain of, of going and gassing up your car. Um, I, I'm going to offer this just, it's unsolicited a device, so it's, it's worth exactly what you paid for it. But this would be a really good time to, to keep your car on the full side of the tank. Does that make sense? I know most guys are looking at it going, yeah, well, every time I get the car from my wife, it seems like the, uh, the light is on saying, hey, you're low on fuel. Instead of letting it get below half a tank, this is a time to keep it topped off. If you have a safe place you could store, you know, a five-gallon can of gas, might want to consider having a little bit of a reserve. You know, cycle it through every two or three months. Awareness rather than fear is your friend. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Thank you for joining us as we revel in wrong think. Which it turns out is super easy to do these days. All you have to do is just think for yourself. Question the narrative. Wait a minute. Does that add up? Hey, now, you can't think that. You can't say that. You can't You can't believe these kind of things. It's such an interesting time. And yet, I, you know, for, for all the craziness that's going on, for all the, the, the pain and discomfort that we're feeling right now, I'm feeling rather energized and hopeful. And it's not because uh, there aren't hard times. Okay, maybe maybe some would say, Brian, you're just in denial. That's why you haven't got it. It hasn't got through your thick head. But there's another reason why I feel encouraged. And, and part of it is because I do understand that these are part of historical cycles. What we're going through right now is very similar to what to the people went through at the time of the American Revolution and founding. It's what we went through during the time of the uh, war between the states and Reconstruction. It's not uh, far from the kind of uh, difficulties and trials that we went through with World War II and the Great Depression. All of those historical cycles came about, and we passed through them um, for the most part intact. You'll notice, though, we were better off after some of those uh, cycles had concluded than we were after others. And it feels like there's a lot riding on this one. So let me cut right to the chase. I don't think it's an accident that you and I live in this time. Let me let me take it even a little bit further. This this should push you directly into the discomfort zone. I believe that uh, the the times that we're facing right now, the challenges that we're facing right now, difficult and impossible as they may seem, <clears throat> are challenges for which you and I are uniquely equipped to stand for what's right and to face them squarely with God's help. That's where my confidence comes from. And for people who don't believe, I know they think, well, Brian, you're just, if you want to believe in a magic sky, daddy, that's, that's fine. But I've just, I've had too many experiences, you know, that, uh, that have convinced me that the cause of, of personal liberty, the cause of, of uh, personal agency, the ability to choose and to act for yourself rather than just be acted on, that is a cause that is, is part of God's larger purpose. And I believe that if there were times in, in our past where the right individuals were, were carefully raised up and placed at the right place and the right time to make the difference when everything hung in the balance, I believe God in his wisdom would, would do the same thing for our time. But the really uncomfortable truth that I'm asking you to consider is, 
What if you are part of the solution? What if you are part of God's, uh, you know, vanguard of people that he expects to stand up and to, to be leaders, to stand in the gap, to be unpopular, but to stand for truth? Okay, I'll let you think about that for a minute. You know, you may some people are like, okay, that's it. I'm turning this off. I'm out of here. That's just, that's just too scary. I find it exhilarating because I believe there's a higher purpose that's at work here. And I think we're all a part of it. And frankly, I don't think you would be even considering a program like this if, if at some level you didn't have questions like that rattling around, you know, in your, in your brain. So let me shift gears for a moment here. Let's, let's talk about, uh, right now, the American ruling class is, well, you know, those high gas prices, well, they're a small price to pay, you know. With my six-figure government job and, you know, the taxpayers buying all my gas, I don't really have to worry about it. But this is a small sacrifice to make Russia pay for its misdeeds. And, of course, they're, they're doing this with the understanding they're also inviting conflict, greater conflict with Russia or China. You know, who knows? Maybe both. So with the American ruling class insisting that we all make sacrifices in order to accomplish whatever it is they've decreed, J.B. Shirk, writing for AmericanThinker.com, has a question. Why should deplorables fight for those who hate them? He says, what happens when a self-anointed ruling class spends years demonizing its own citizens as racist, white supremacist, deplorable, insurrectionist Neanderthals bitterly clinging to their guns and their Bibles? What happens when the fools in charge censor dissent and throw their political enemies in prison? What happens when the political establishment floods the country with illegal aliens while publicly wishing for the quick extinction of those proud to wave the red, white, and blue? He says, maybe when those same elitist snob goblins start beating the drums of war, declare patriotic love of country acceptable once again, and call for deep sacrifices to be made in the interest of preserving freedom, the people most needed to pick up a rifle, fight, and sacrifice life and limb instead turn their backs on those who have relentlessly tormented them. Maybe America's real protectors just walk away. Now, Shirk says right now, Congress and the White House seem vested in initiating World War III between Russia and the West. And a lot of America's natural warriors couldn't care less. Why is that? Could it be that our elected officials and their bureaucratic shock troops have spent so many decades betraying American citizens that now many American citizens could never justify dying for a cause supported by these same cretinous manipulators and blood-sucking lice? Could it be that Americans have no idea why they would rush onto foreign battlefields for the preservation of another nation's freedoms when their own freedoms are under sustained attack here at home? Could it be that it makes little sense to get bloody out of a fervent devotion to country when that country's leaders have spent years denigrating patriotism as nothing more than Nazism? So he says, here's a thought for the champagne socialists controlling both political parties. Should you want the American people to back your play against foreign enemies, perhaps you shouldn't disparage them as enemies too. Perhaps it's asinine to mock them daily, hunt them down as domestic terrorists for their political beliefs, and add nothing but misery to their lives. Perhaps constantly trying to start domestic race wars, inflating the cost of fuel and food, and sticking it to white men out of sheer petulance isn't a winning strategy for building national unity and ferocious loyalty. 
Now, he says, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the wars of the future will all be fought by politically correct, detoxified, androgynous, know-nothings marching uniformly into battle because MSNBC, Google, and Teen Vogue tell them that doing so will prove they're committed to fighting racism and global warming. Maybe that gender-confused pipsqueak huddled in a safe space because he, she, they, it is afraid of being triggered by words or the carnage of free speech is just what the U.S. military needs when going mano a mano against the Russians. I'm sure those pink pussy hat wearing women are ready to jump out of a good airplane, parachute into chaos, and start slitting throats for good old Uncle Sam. Or is it non-binary Aunt Sam now? Where are all the climate change warriors when their country needs them? Come on, gladiators, get to it. Go find out what it's like to fight something that's fighting back. Let's move, wokesters. Show the mean ruskies how dangerous you are with your ski masks and bike chains and fondness for attacking people from behind. All that burning, looting, and murdering in American cities across the USA over the last few years had to prepare Democrats wannabe soldiers for something, right? J.B. Shirk says since the federal government has repeatedly taken a knee to prove its allegiance to Black Lives Matter and Antifa, now's the chance for America's leftist paramilitaries to prove they can repay the feds, stand up and fight under fire, and repel a hostile force advancing with more than just hashtags and slogans. To the Americans who spend all day, every day, trying to cancel other Americans for their beliefs, here's your opportunity to put your keyboard warrior skills to the test. Cancel or be canceled looks a whole hell of a lot different in the real world. Though far from the protection of corrupt prosecutors, Democratic politicians, and a partisan FBI. Go with God. I mean, Gaia, you earth-worshipping primitives, good luck. What? He says, no takers? All those vicious, woke-charged tweets against authoritarianism constituted the vertebral limits of the left's backbone? All of those digital diatribes against fascism represented the full extent of our Marxist vanguard's heroics? Surely the journalist class, always eager to belch forth their valor and courage in the face of mean tweets, is just itching to jump into the fray for the sake of, I don't know, Ukrainian diversity or some such rubbish? No? J.B. Shirk says, oh, my, well, then whom whom will the governing elite send into battle to die on their behalf? It can't be the tens of millions of illegal aliens in the United States because their job is to cast votes for Democrats in fraud-free elections. It can't be the public school teachers because they're too exhausted from refusing to teach students for two years, taping masks on children and spreading racism in the form of CRT. It can't be the social justice crowd because they're too busy fighting the cesspool of neo-Nazism flaring up at local school board meetings, school board meetings rather, where parents don't seem thrilled to have boys changing clothes in the same locker rooms as their daughters. Ah, oh, shucks. That means regular Americans, you know, who celebrate uh, the 4th of July will have to come to the rescue once again. That's right, the ones who work, support their families, pay taxes, even after the federal government spent the last two years destroying their savings forcing them to say goodbye to their parents and grandparents from hospital hallways and banning them from social media platforms for having opinions about the pandemic, the 2020 election, or America's future. J.B. Shirk asks, how is it always the case that our governing class treats Americans who just want to be left alone with such disdain, yet invariably depends upon their service and sacrifice when the seas get rough and the devil comes out to play? I don't know why, but it felt really cathartic to read this uh, this article. We'll come back to it just the other side of the break. Please stay with us.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'm sharing with you a column here from J.B. Shirk. This is published on AmericanThinker.com. Why should deplorables fight for those who hate them? And I think he makes a pretty solid case here. You know, the the political class, the ruling class is very good at uh, starting fights and expecting, well, you solid Americans, you step up here and you, uh, you show everybody that uh, we mean business. But these are the same people who have been de- demeaning and doing everything they can to denigrate and put into a box, no, put into a cage, those of us who really just want to be left alone. Why should we go out there and sacrifice for that political class? He asks, why is it that the same privileged, corporate-owned, and operated vile fourth estate that smiles when the likes of Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama castigate ordinary Americans as deplorable always turns on a dime to rally patriotic Americans to fight in foreign lands at their behest? Why is it that Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell and Mitt Romney are always eager to call their own Republican voters extremist or insurrectionist or ignorant, yet they're first in line to beg those same voters to defend their precious principles in their stead. How many different ways can politicians in the globalist cartel they actually serve demonstrate that they despise freedom-loving Americans before those Americans realize that giving the last full measure of devotion for those who hold them in contempt only serves to deprive the United States of its best while leaving us with its worst? He says, I have no sympathy for despotism in any form, whether it's Russian, Chinese, or Great Reset in nature. J.B. Shirk says, I do think American warriors should think long and hard, though, about fighting for freedom abroad when freedom is under attack here at home. He says, I'm angry that the same members of Congress who have refused to stand up for the J6 political prisoners could turn around and urge those prisoners' friends and families to head off to a potential war. If the political class wants blood and guts Americans to do their bidding, the prima donnas running that class need to earn the privilege. What do Congress and the White House look like without a united American people prepared to do battle? They look like a few hundred powerless leaders without anyone to lead. No rights, no warriors. I get it, that's harsh. But I think he's absolutely right. I think he is positively on target here, and uh, this is something that we ought to pay close attention to. Brian, this sounds very disloyal. It sounds to me like you're you're suggesting people not support their government. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm suggesting. <laughs> I'm suggesting you and I can withdraw our consent as we need to. I mean, look, if you haven't read the Declaration of Independence recently, dust it off. Look at the reasons that were given and the complaints that were lodged against the king and why the colonists said, look, this isn't working. You're not protecting our God-given rights. You are not operating government in our interests. So we not only have the option, but we have a duty to abolish this government and to create our own government for our future happiness and for you know our own governance. They withdrew their consent. And King George, true to his character, tried to force them at the point of a bayonet to stay under his control, which they did not accept. 
I don't know. Maybe maybe we're all celebrating the 4th of July for the wrong reasons, but that's a perfect example of how moral clarity over what was right and what was appropriate for government to do versus what was inappropriate for government to do, that moral clarity is what drove the colonists to stand up to the British war machine, to fight against it, to sacrifice deeply. It's not, there's, nobody's going to pretend like, oh, it was just easy. They, they just simply waved their hand and suddenly they were free. No, they suffered for a very long time. And the balance of whether or not the, they would prevail and the balance of, of their lives and the power was, was uh, very much in question. There was no guarantee that they would win. I'm going to suggest to you, with God's help, they did win. And it wasn't because they were trying to start a theocracy. It was because they knew with perfect clarity what was right and what was wrong and had the courage to act upon that moral clarity. That's the kind of clarity that we have to have. And by the way, this doesn't mean, well, are you talking up an insurrection here or what, man? I'm talking about individually being the kind of people who can stand up and withdraw your consent. And you'll notice I spend a lot of time talking about, you know, self-reliance and being able to, to improve your position, to be able to have options. That's part of it. So when government comes to you and says, well, you know, you really have to do this, how awesome is it to be able to say, no, actually, I really don't. <laughs> I don't need your help. Move along, you know. You can go peddle that to somebody else who wants what you're selling. But I don't need it, and I don't want it. To me, there is no better sight in the world than some pathetic politician standing there wondering, hey, when did all the air go out of my balloon? So, you know, I used to be a big deal. People would, you know, would, would get a little bit googly-eyed to come shake my hand, to touch the hem of my garment, to, you know, to be near me because I represent power. I, it's the best example of this that I can think of. Maybe you remember seeing this video clip. It's when Joe Biden was, uh, was campaigning uh, for the 2020 election. This is one of the rare experiences where he actually got out of the house. And, and it may have been before the, the COVID pandemic really, you know, kicked in. But he went to a diner somewhere. Just one of those, you know, well, look, here's this presidential candidate, uh, you know, pressing the flesh there in the diner and meeting the public. There's a guy sitting there in the booth and Biden comes up and introduces himself. The guy barely even looks at him. He's just like, yeah, whatever turns his attention away. He wants nothing to do with this politician. I mean, it was that that overture fell flatter than a cat that's been out on the highway for three days straight. I mean, it was just hilarious and encouraging. So, yeah, I'm I'm definitely suggesting be in a position to withdraw your consent, be in a position to turn your backs on the political class. It doesn't require violence. In fact, if you, if, you, if you really feel up to something, I'm going to invite you. Um, Google the discourse on voluntary servitude. It's by a Frenchman by the name of Etienne de la Boite. I'm probably butchering his name, but he was a young man. I think he was 18 years old when he wrote this essay. Brilliant, brilliant young man. And he talked about how when, when it comes to being under a tyrant's power, the connection that people fail to make is that they choose. They voluntarily place themselves in that position of servitude. And so in response to that, 
He says, what you need to do is you don't have to, you don't have to raise an army. You don't have to go out there with the torches or pitchforks. You just turn your back on the tyrant. You withdraw your consent. And like the Colossus of old, when there's no support, no hands to hold up that tyrant, they fall to the ground. Pretty cool stuff. Now, if you want to hear something really interesting, so this this idea that was was hatched by or at least promoted by Etienne de la Boite back in uh, the 1500s was something that came to the attention of Leo Tolstoy, who wrote in his letter to a Hindu about uh, the, I'm going to use this word, efficacy. Sorry, it's <laughs> probably more of a medical term, but but about how how practical, non-violent withdrawal of consent and peaceful resistance is. You don't have to go fight a, a tyrant head on. Just stop obeying. Turn your back on him. And it was that letter to a Hindu that uh, Mahatma Gandhi read and followed the advice of to bring India out from under Britain's rule peacefully. Okay, mostly, mostly peacefully. Isn't that odd? How an idea, a small idea from an 18-year-old back in the 1500s could spread to where one of the most populous nations on earth found its way out of imperial control through nonviolent withdrawal of consent. I mean, I'm not saying this is the panacea and it's going to work exactly the same for us as it did for them, but I'm saying that's a, that's a pretty solid uh, endorsement of there might be something to this. I guess the thing I would ask you to consider, and this is, this is probably a great note to end on, it really starts with the individual. If you have determined that I'm going to be a free man or I'm going to be a free woman and nothing is going to change that. Even in the worst types of despotism, you can still live with a measure of freedom. Your existence is going to be an affront to the people who are trying to keep their boot on the back of your neck. So I'm encouraging you. Know who you are. Know what you stand for. Be willing to pay the price to to make that stand. But also understand it can be as simple as simply withdrawing your consent. And in order to do that, you're going to want to be, you know, as as able as possible to stand on your own feet and to refuse the help that your government is offering. It's a really great feeling when you're in a position to do this. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. This program is not about how right I am and how wrong everybody else is. Because frankly, I'm just not that impressive of a specimen. I'm, I'm a guy who believes very strongly in things like personal liberty, private property, free markets, the freedom of conscience, and the fact that God-given rights are the reason that government exists. They exist to protect those God-given rights, and if they're not doing that well, then something is off. 
And if that's something that uh, you can, if we can use that as a starting point, I welcome you to sit down and enjoy some wrong think. You're going to find comradeship and uh, you're going to find uh, some encouragement. You're also going to find that you're not alone. I have some great sponsors who make this show possible. They include SewingAndQuiltingCenter.com, MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, and HSLAmmo.com. So, where to begin? I know, I want to start with Paul Rosenberg. Got a recent essay from him that's uh, sure to blow a few minds. It's a pretty short one, but uh, this is this is what I love about Paul Rosenberg's thinking. He says, I stand with the Russian people and the Ukrainian people and against mania. This may be one of the most important messages for our day. He says, as I write this, the West has fallen into another spiral where millions of people plug into a harmonized set of sources and where the whole complex feeds back upon itself, generating devil figures and blind collective disgust. So Paul Rosenberg reminds us, the Russian family down the road is not your enemy, the friend of your enemy or tarnished in any way. They are individuals like everyone else, and unless and until they purposely hurt others, anyone mistreating them has fallen into barbarism, period. Now, those spirals are the same as the medieval spirals we read about. Same hysteria, better technology. Two nation states are presently at war. That's the work of perhaps a few hundred decision makers and their backers. So he says, if you want to blame people, blame them. Don't blame the Russian restaurant. Don't blame Russian cats. That's what barbarians do. Nation states fight and their rulers are half mad to begin with on all sides. That's just the way things are. All else is is soothing is self-soothing fiction. He says, blind spirals do not become us. We're better than that. And I think this is the most reasoned approach to take on this matter. No, look, it's hard because right now you're seeing a lot of different things, especially if you're consuming mainstream media, whether it's Fox News or whether it's, you know, any of the other mass media, you are seeing so much um, hand-picked, uh, you know, emotion-based content to tell you this is what you should be feeling and this is the way your your loyalty should fall. The best thing that you and I can do is reject the mania. And you're still going to be called a Russian stooge or you're still going to be called, you know, a neo-Nazi Ukrainian supporter. I don't know. People are still going to try to call you names to manipulate you into supporting the, the madness that is taking hold over the masses. This is where we've got to resist. You and I, we've got to be tough. Doesn't mean we have to be disagreeable or we have to be, you know, condescending or contemptuous to these folks. It's just you don't have to get down and wallow in whatever it is they're wallowing in. And that doesn't mean indifference towards people who are suffering. But, you know, I, I want to play a clip for you. This is from Tucker Carlson. And just just to to illustrate the the disconnect most of us have okay so there's lots of news being focused right now on ukraine oh and the suffering and you know i've seen some of the clips coming out of there and sure enough yep that's war people are dying in gruesome unnecessary ways and it is ugly and tragic no doubt about it but if you aren't asking yourself okay um why is this the most important war to focus on at the moment. Listen to what Tucker Carlson has to say here and, and tell me that he doesn't have a point worth considering. Perspective about the world or war. 
which is always lacking in D.C., but never more so than now. The fighting in Ukraine is terrible. Of course, you're seeing it happen. No decent person could fail to be moved by the images. But it's not unique. It's not the only war in recent memory or even currently in progress right now. Many thousands died in the 2020 Nagorno-Karabakh war. That was between Azerbaijan and Armenia. Ever heard of it? It ended less than a year and a half ago. No coverage. There's been a gruesome war underway in Ethiopia for a couple of years now. It's, again, in progress as we speak. Tens of thousands of women have been raped by militiamen, many of them intentionally infected with AIDS. Can it get worse than that? How many people have died in the war in Ethiopia? We don't really know because no one in our media cares enough to keep track. It's just Ethiopia. We do know that hundreds of thousands of people, mostly civilians, have died in the war in Yemen. It's a war the Biden administration has continued to fund. It doesn't get a lot of attention. It's just Yemen. Who cares? All human life is equal. All of us are equal in the eyes of God. The death of someone in Ukraine is exactly equivalent to the death of someone in Yemen in its importance, period. Wow. I mean, you do not hear a lot of that sentiment um, in, in much of the mainstream news. And in fact, I'm sure he's taking, you know, well, that sounds exactly like what a Russian stooge would say. That's what, that's what one of Putin's people's, uh, how many rubles did he pay you there, Tucker Carlson? But he's absolutely right. And, and this isn't going to resonate with everybody, but one of my favorite resources when I want to, to know what's happening in terms of foreign policy is I go to antiwar.com. And this is where you'll find people like Scott Horton, and this is where you'll, you'll find people like Scott Ritter. Unfortunately, Justin Raimondo, who was the founder of Antiwar.com, passed away from cancer, I believe, within about the last two years. That was a huge loss. And it's, this is not just, you know, a bunch of, you know, flower-waving hippies. Hey, kumbaya, everybody. These are people who have some very serious uh, insights into how foreign policy is playing out throughout the world. And they definitely have some of the most principled information. And even though it's, you know, called antiwar.com, again, this is not just mindless. Well, if a government says it, then, you know, we have to, to oppose it. It's some of the most well thought out and non-interventionist thought that, that I've encountered. And it may not be for you. Some people, I don't know, they find purpose in waving the flag and, you know, when, when there's harm's way and, oh, look, our troops are in action. Why, you know, this is, this is when they feel a real sense of, of purpose and camaraderie. I mean, some people almost get an unhealthy contact high off this kind of stuff. They, they, they nearly wet their pants when, you know, a flight of Air Force planes comes over the stadium and does a flyover, you know, to, to kick off some sporting event. I'm not suggesting that you have to be, you know, a cynic or you have to be an anti-war protester or that you have to be, you know, a, a heel-clicking, you know, wave the flag harder, come on, clap, clap harder, people, and chant with me kind of person. I just think you got to think about this stuff. The disinformation is flowing so fast and so deep, it's really hard to know who to believe. So when Paul Rosenberg describes it as a mania, that is exactly what's going on. There is a mania sweeping the land. And, and the funny thing is, and the, the, perhaps the most disturbing thing is, very few people recognize it. It's the same dynamic that drove COVID mania. So it's not so much a matter of, well, you know, sometimes we're prone when there's war that people get a little bit worked up. Now, people were worked up like this over COVID. 
They were willing to, you know, victimize their neighbors or, or um, otherwise persecute them. He should lose his job if he doesn't get the jab. To me, the most disturbing aspect is that so few people can recognize that almost overnight, the pivot from COVID mania into Russia mania, or at least war mania, has taken place. And it feels like almost no one recognizes that they have been led into this mania as as surely as if they had a ring through their nose, like some kind of cow. So here's the question for you and me. How do we shore ourselves up? How do we make sure that we're not, you know, falling prey to this? First and foremost, I would encourage you, be skeptical. Take time to unplug from the matrix every day, meaning unplug from media, unplug from your screens, go outside, move around, talk to people, get some sunlight. If you aren't taking time to actually stop and think. In fact, I'm going to use a couple other metaphors here. Um, Not just think, but maybe meditate, maybe pray. You're missing an opportunity to get your antenna calibrated to where you can recognize when someone is trying to yank your chain and trying to steer you into uh, a way of thinking or into a mindset that you may not freely choose if you allow them to take the steering wheel. That's my plea for you. Take control of your worldview. That means I don't get to dictate what you think. I don't want to dictate what you think. I want you to think as clearly and independently as you possibly can. And above all, question everything. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Hey, if you haven't subscribed to my show notes, it's a very simple matter. Just uh, pull up my website, thebrianhydeshow.com. Click on show notes. You'll find a big subscribe button. It's going to ask you for your email. And this is my solemn promise. I do not share. I do not sell. I do not let anybody else have your email. That's strictly between you and me. But I will put a copy of my show notes in your inbox every single day that I do the program. And more days than not, you will find that there are articles I don't have time to get to on the air. So I will uh, leave them in there just for your consideration. I mean, there, I know there, there are a small handful of people out there who are like, you know, if I want to know what's important, I'll scan Brian's show notes and just see if there's anything that, uh, that I really need to know about. And it's not because I have all these great powers, but I, I do have access to some really great sources. And I make a great effort to find the most credible, principled sources that I can to share with you in the interest of helping you and I better understand the world around us. So take the time, subscribe. I would love to share it with you, and I hope it's something you will find useful. Let's, uh, let's dive into another topic here. Um, the reality of what's currently breaking down in our world right now, it's getting very hard to deny. Even the most Pollyanna-ish approach, you know, the most rose-colored glasses, can't keep uh, some inconvenient facts from, from dawning on us. For me, it's any time I stand at the gas pump, I'm like, wow. <laughs> Every time I look up at the, the, oh, wow, it's gone up another 20 cents today, you know, um, I feel that uh, things are, are really starting to, uh, they're, they're starting to, to wobble pretty hard. 
Well, James Howard Kunstler has a great explanation on why there is nowhere left to hide at this point. He says financial markets are adverse to threats of chaos and death. Now, these conditions tend to interfere with formal promises between parties to service loans, which is the basis of finance. But he says time, they say, is nature's way of making sure that everything doesn't happen at once. Well, if that's so, then maybe time has stopped because all of a sudden, everything seems to be happening at once. Well, three things, he says, actually. Number one, a Russian military operation in Ukraine that a lot of people in America want to turn into World War III. Number two, an epic crack-up of the world financial system. And number three, the breakdown of the fishy COVID-19 affair, and especially the story behind its holy avatar, the mRNA vaccine. Now, Kunstler says in a sane society, that might be enough to trip the institutional reality test apparatus, but we're not a sane society these days. So we plunge ever deeper into a hurly-burly of wrongful endeavor vectoring toward self-destruction. And the immediate problem is a nation, that's us, that's powerfully bamboozled, led by a figurehead nobody believes in, backed by a hidden coterie of actors who appear to hate our country enough to try to sink it. So he says, forgive me for restating the premise of the Ukraine situation, but one must counter the propaganda emitted like poison gas by a perfidious news media. Russia objected to the expansion of NATO to its very border based on long-standing prior agreements about it. Joe Biden had every chance to formally recognize that reality and stupidly demurred. The Ukrainian government ditto. Now, our side, the USA, had already created enough mischief there in mounting the 2014 coup against a government friendly with Russia and then arming its replacement to harass Ukraine's own citizens in its easternmost provinces, Donetsk and Luhansk. Two weeks ago, Russia moved in to forcefully correct all that. After all, Ukraine had been a part of Russia since they wrested it from the Ottoman or Turkish Empire in the 1700s. And in any other sense, Ukraine is within Russia's sphere of influence as such things are defined in geopolitical history. Now, James Howard Kunstler says the U.S.-led response to the Russian op was an attempt to dismantle the complex interbank payment systems of the global economy in order to punish one region, Russia, of the global economy. That is, cutting off your leg to punish yourself for walking into harm's way. The result of that now is mayhem in the financial markets and in currencies with global commodities like grain, oil, and ores acting as hostages. This hostage-taking has far-reaching effects because the nations of the world can't operate without food, energy, and stuff to make products out of. Interfere with the rational distribution of them, and you'll get chaos and death. Now, he says financial markets are reversed to threats of chaos and death. These conditions tend to interfere with formal promises between parties to service loans, which is the basis of finance. If finance destabilizes badly, standards of living plummet, and pretty soon people are stuck being hungry in the cold and dark, which is the opposite of being happy and civilized. So maybe jamming an I-beam into the machinery of global finance isn't the splendid idea it seemed to be a few days ago when the geniuses behind Joe Biden swung into action pretending to be superheroes fighting an imagined nemesis. Standing by to see how that all works out. He says, then there's the resolving picture of the mysterious, all the mysterious puzzle pieces in the COVID-19 story. Sunday night, America's premier propaganda vessel, CBS's 60 Minutes, ran a puff piece on the CDC 
starring the warm and fuzzy mom figure Rochelle Walensky. It's hard to overstate just how dishonest the segment was. Starting with its subtle effort to keep America in a state of alarm, new variants coming, proceeding to a deceptive cartoon of how the MRA vaccines work, wonders like white memory cells patrol the body, no mention of spike proteins, and concluding with exhortations for Americans to continue vaxing and boosting up. Despite an avalanche of news coming from elsewhere than 60 Minutes about the CDC withholding critical information from the public. And they've been doing this throughout the two-year crisis, not to mention new data from the alt-media on extensive injury and death rates among the vaccinated, including shocking info from the court-ordered recent release of Pfizer's own records. Now, James Howard Kunstler asks, was this 60-minute segment corporate media's attempt to cover up the emerging crimes of America's public health agencies in concert with pharma and media itself? That is, to get ahead of the story, as has lately been the strategy for all the cable channels and legacy newspapers with more and more citizens asking themselves if they had been played? Meanwhile, he says the big kahuna of COVID-19, one Dr. Anthony Fauci, has gone to ground, making himself scarce, skip the scene, vamoosed, amid all the new controversy. Word has apparently come down from on high in the party of chaos that his ubiquitous puss on the nation's flat screens is no longer helping to sell the mass vax directive. Too many people, perhaps, suspect he caused the whole thing to happen in the first place and then botched his attempt to play savior over it. James Howard Kunstler says it would be a pity for the party of chaos, which starts with a D, and its accomplices in the COVID frauds, if the events playing out in Ukraine actually concluded with a reduction of danger and chaos in that corner of the world. In fact, he says it's surely the last thing they want. Yet the possibility that exists that Russia will pacify the country, disarm it, neutralize its most corrupt and obdurately degenerate factions, and set it up as a properly governed backwater that will not threaten to upset the peace of the world again for some time ahead. Then the spotlight will be back on the COVID crime against humanity and the folks who perpetrated it. And there will be nowhere for them to hide, especially with financial markets crashing down on their ears. I don't know, maybe it's wishful thinking, but as, as, as much as people are like, why can't you just turn loose of this COVID thing? Why can't you turn loose of the narrative? It's because people need to answer for what they did. When I, don't, I don't think it's an exaggeration to describe it as a crime against humanity. The lockdowns, the, the shutting of businesses, the essential versus non-essential personnel, the enforcement of stupid stay-at-home directives where people sitting in their cars posing a threat to no one, you know, watching a sunset, were given tickets or arrested. Yeah, I'm not willing to move on from that. Not yet. I'm not willing to move on from the fact that people were forced out of their jobs for not to taking a vaccine that they did not want. And that, you know, it's in, in retrospect, it's looking like it was a wiser and wiser decision to avoid. So maybe I'm just an angry little guy with, you know, a, a heart that's thirsting for vengeance. I tend to think it's more a matter of I want to see justice done. And most importantly, I want to see the people who perpetrated this crime against humanity stopped from ever doing it again. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. One of my sponsors is Sewing and Quilting Center. I have a link to them in the show notes, sewingquiltingcenter.com. And I just want to mention this because it's a family-owned business that's been in business at least since 1984. You know, it's only changed hands three times. Still owned and operated by a family. In this case, it's the Alsops, Teresa and Eric Alsop, who run it. Teresa is a certified technician. And why is this important when it comes to sewing machines? Well, okay, a couple of things. Number one, you can sewing machines start at about 200 bucks. So if you want to just get into, you know, learning how to sew, if you've ever tried to sew a button on by hand, maybe you're like me, you realize, wow, there's got to be a better way to do this. So learning to use a sewing machine is going to be a big time saver. Might be handy if, I don't know, let's say that costs of everything went up and you needed to uh, make your clothing last a little bit longer, maybe even fabricate new clothes for yourself. Just saying, it'd be great to have those skills. Likewise, long-arm quilting machines, sergers, and embroidery machines, it's a remarkable time, and these machines can do so much. And Sewing and Quilting Center can not only sell you the machines, but they can service those machines. And I think this is the best part of all. They can teach you how to use them. Free classes when you purchase your machine from them. They will show you what you need to do to use that machine the way it's supposed to be used. Pretty cool stuff. They back what they sell. They, they are there for you. Click on the link in the show notes at sewingandquiltingcenter.com. If you're in St. George, Utah, stop in and see them. All right, so gas prices. I know that uh, Biden yesterday was making a, a comment about how, well, now, you know, we all have to make sacrifices. And it's like, yeah, this all, we all are in this together vibe is coming through loud and clear. And, and it reminds me, it's because my kids were watching Shrek the other day and, and Lord Farquaad, you know, with, you know, going to rescue the princess from the dragon. Some of you will die, but that is a price I am willing to pay. I feel like that's the same kind of attitude the American political class is, is adopting in risking our lives and our well-being for the sake of punishing Russia's government. My friend uh, Connor Tomlinson, writing for the American Spectator about the cold reality of abandoning Russian gas has a few thoughts worth considering. Here's what he says. He says, Last October, the American Spectator ran my op-ed declaring that Putin has NATO over a barrel. And Connor says it lamented the precarious position of Europe and the U.S. national security caused by energy policies intent on total decarbonization. Now, the intended consequence of these policies caused by unreliable renewable energy technology was the fostering of increased reliance on imports of Russian liquid natural gas and petroleum. Now that war has broken out in Ukraine, NATO is placing economic sanctions on Putin. The Biden administration announced Tuesday that it will join the U.K. in banning oil imports from Russia. But just how costly will it be to disentangle America's grid from the Kremlin? Now, in that press conference, the president claimed it is simply not true that my administration or policies are holding back domestic energy production. Even amid the pandemic, companies in the U.S. pumped more oil during my first year in office than they did during my predecessor's first year. Now, Connor says, look, that claim is misleading for multiple reasons. First of all, most pipelines take between a year and two years to come online. After reversing the Obama administration's hostile attitudes toward fracking, President Trump, with his plan to repatriate American oil manufacturing, went on to achieve national energy independence for the first time since President Nixon set the target. In a move that perplexed Paris Accord members, 
Repatriation made America the leading nation in annual emissions reduction in 2019. From the first week of the Biden administration, daily averages of crude production have fallen by almost 4,000 barrels. And this followed three pieces of anti-fossil fuels legislation passed from day two of Biden's presidency. The first, the executive order on protecting public health and the environment and restoring science to tackle the climate crisis, ceased construction on the Keystone XL pipeline. A project made a focal point of contention between the Obama administration, which stopped it, and the Trump administration, which reopened it, avoiding a $15 billion lawsuit from the contracted company seeking damages for the cancellation. The pipeline was fully funded and although only 8% complete, would have transported over 800,000 barrels daily from Alberta to Texas refineries and provided thousands of jobs. The second, Secretarial Order Number 3395, constituted a 60-day moratorium on leases for the expansion of the 22% of oil and gas production, of, I'm sorry, of oil production and 12% of natural gas production conducted on federal land. Now, this crippled production in states such as Utah, where over half the land is federally owned. The moratorium was extended indefinitely by the executive order on tackling the climate crisis at home and abroad. This legislation passed despite the Biden-Harris campaign promise not to ban fracking. Connor Tomlinson says in 2020, the Institute for Energy Research found further anti-fracking action could double oil prices to $130 per barrel quadruple electricity prices, reduce gross domestic product by $7.1 trillion, and induce another major recession. On Monday, price per barrel passed $130, with Putin threatening to constrict supply until it doubles to $300. Now, the knock-on effect is that America is dipping into global supplies more than before and is thus subjected to the fluctuating global gas market. Connor Tomlinson says in 2021, U.S. oil production decreased by 14%, prices increased 65% compared to pre-pandemic levels. Crude oil imports from Russia to the U.S. reached a record 26,000 barrels in May 2021, between 5 and 10% of annual supply. Imports have fallen since, but global gas price rises mean domestic petroleum costs remain high. As of this writing, he says average rates are just shy of the all-time high of $4.11. In fact, this morning I paid four nineteen to top off my tank. To ease the then seven, net, uh, the then minus seven percent increase in global, uh, the then seven percent increase in global crude prices, Biden pledged in his State of the Union address last week, thirty million more barrels would be released from the strategic petroleum reserves. But Connor Tomlinson points out that constitutes less than two days' worth of national consumption. The once scoffed at $7 a gallon figure that President Trump predicted would be reached under Biden is becoming reality in California. With inflation caused by the $120 billion of quantitative easing conducted monthly by the Federal Reserve. Monthly? Yep, that's right. During the pandemic, now plundering paychecks, families may be horrified to hear of a coming food shortage. Wheat and cereal prices have hit 14-year highs. Ammonia production costs tripled in price last year. The fact that Russia is now a leading leading global exporter of nitrogen and phosphorus compounds existing, uh, and phosphorus rather, compounds existing supply issues for fertilizer ingredients. Belarusian potash was sanctioned by the EU and the United States. 
and farmland shortages have been produced by mass buyouts and conversions of acres to produce biofuel crops, which also require fertilizer to replace the natural gas no longer being extracted. Are you getting the picture here? Immobility, empty bellies, and cold hearths are the product of relying on Russian petroleum. And to complicate things further, the guillotine of future fossil fuel lawsuits hangs overhead. This Pandora's box was opened by America's potential re-entrance into the Trans-Pacific Partnership. That trade pact's investor state dispute settlement provisions mandate the purchasing of certain goods from member states, making the prospect of phasing out fossil fuels a financial minefield fraught with litigation potential. So taxpayers could foot a multi-billion dollar bill for canceling oil and gas procurement contracts. Connor Tomlin says, but energies for but arguments rather for energy independence are gaining ground against Biden's carbon emissions abolition agenda. Republicans have consistently called for bans on Russian gas imports, but the Democratic establishment breaks with GOP lawmakers on the suggestion that a reinvigoration of domestic production could make up for the shortfall. At loggers, loggerheads with Republicans on other issues ahead of the midterms, the Biden administration seeks instead to make unlikely bedfellows in its pursuit of securing alternative exports. Saudi Arabia, for instance, has refused to release oil reserves, a feat President Trump strong-armed them into stopping when negotiating OPEC out of a price war. Snubbed by the Saudis for a second time, President Biden is looking elsewhere in the Middle East for aid. This week, he seeks to renegotiate the $400 million-plus Obama-era Iran nuclear deal to secure oil prospectors' faith in a restabilized regional market. Now, said deal did not prevent Iran from assembling a nuclear weapon, nor will Russian intervention in brokering this version lower international tensions. Sanctions on Venezuela may also be eased in order to secure some of the chief exports by the socialist petrostate. And this idea has drawn bipartisan criticism for allowing the cancer of Maduro's reign of torture and murder to continue to fester south of the border. Connor Tomlinson says it appears the Biden administration would rather swap one adversarial supplier for another than reverse the policies that took the wind out of domestic gas manufacturing. There's a lot more to this article and some great links contained within the article. You want to be better informed on this issue? My friend Connor Tomlinson has done some of the heavy lifting to help you get your mind around it. You'll find it in the show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. All right, let's talk about lifesavingfood.com. If you are looking to bolster your food storage, this is a great time to do it. Click on the link that I provide in my show notes to lifesavingfood.com. You can sure save a whole bunch of money. I really like the uh, the special that uh, that Kendall has been running. 45% off these uh, these two buckets. One is uh, breakfast foods. One is entrees. 120 individual servings in each one of these buckets. So we're talking 240 servings total. $330. That's a good deal. Normal price is closer to $600. You're saving uh, roughly 45%. No uh, shipping charge. 
I think this might be, you know, a great way to put a one-month supply for one person aside with a 25-year shelf life. If you're looking at the prices of food going higher and higher, just I, I don't I don't mean to give you bad news. I don't mean to have just, you know, the, the sorry, but those prices are still going up. They've, they've only started. We are on the beginning of a crisis of it's, it's going to be higher food prices combined with shortages in food. And, of course, the cost of everything is going up because of higher gas prices. Next time you have somebody out to check on your furnace or check on your air conditioning, see if there's not a, uh, you know, service charge that's added because of the cost of getting the truck to and from your home, fuel-wise. Sorry, this, this, isn't, uh, this isn't necessarily good news for anybody, but understand that it's going on. Do what you can to better your position. Lifesavingfood.com is a great way to, uh, to make that happen. Well, since we're on the subject of... Uh, Perceiving trouble rapidly approaching. I wanted to share with you a commentary I picked up from the Organic Prepper. And it's an article titled, well, this bodes well, not really. Eight hinky warning signs happening right now. This is from Aiden Tate from the Organic Prepper. And he says, look at uh, what's currently happening in the world around you and use that information to make deductions. So when you see storm clouds on the horizon, you're able to deduce that a lightning storm is on its way, and you can prepare accordingly. What storm clouds are on the horizon? Well, perhaps these are indicators you may want to pay more attention to. So, uh, for, for one thing, Belarus has now removed its nuclear sanctions, meaning that Russia can now move nuclear weaponry into the country. If you're wondering, well, what does that mean to anything? Uh, Belarus is right there on the northern border of, uh, of Ukraine. So just, just so we know. Belarus is adjacent to both Ukraine and Russia. It was used as a staging point for the Russian invasion of Ukraine. This lifting of sanctions could easily be the legal logistical move needed for land-based tactical nuclear weapons to be brought into the region. So there's one of those hinky warning signs. Here's another one. Taiwan experiences a power outage. Aiden Tate says Taiwan suffered a power outage that took down a third of the country's power supply last week. Seven cities, including the capital, were hit by the power outage in what was allegedly due to a malfunction of equipment. Now, if you remember the Stuxnet hack of Iranian nuclear centrifuges, you'll recall that it was technically a failure of equipment that caused catastrophic damage to the Iranian nuclear program. And Aiden Tate says, I don't believe for a second that a third of the country just accidentally lost power as a result of unforeseen entropy. Cyber attacks set the stage for war. War revolves around logistics. Only when the stage is set do the soldiers take the field. Here's another warning sign. Well, can't buy that anymore. Do you believe that the free market can tell us about what the public at large is thinking? Aiden Tate says, I do. And he says, if you find yourself believing the same, just know that as of this writing, Crescent Kearney's Nuclear War Survival Skills book has sold out on Amazon. Now, Mr. Kearney's book is also available at several different places online at no charge. In fact, he has a link to it. And Aiden Tate says, we've certainly been pushing that book here at the Organic Prepper, but our site alone surely can't be attributed to the selling out of such a popular book. Increasingly, it's difficult to find Geiger counters on Amazon that are in stock at the moment as well. So it appears the world is taking the threat of a nuclear attack seriously. 
The question he has is, are you as well? Times are tough. Pay as little as you like, and if you want to support the site, pay more, pay as much as you like. But this is information available on the website in an easily printable format so you can get hard copy immediately. Here's another warning sign. Cyber Polygon was removed from the World Economic Forum website. Have you heard of this before? The World Economic Forum recently removed all mention of Cyber Polygon from its website. Now, regular readers of The Organic Prepper will be familiar with the name of Klaus Schwab and Cyber Polygon being his prediction of a global cyber pandemic in the very near future. And he says, no, I'm not linking to this. Somebody tried to hack my computer when I started researching it. But he says, why would any reference to it have to be taken down? Good question. Plausible deniability, the rewriting of history. Will the World Economic Forum website be hit by the cyber pandemic, or will it only be sites that mention the phrase cyber polygon? Here's another hinky warning sign. Mysterious fertilizer plant fires keep happening. You know, just last month, Russia banned all exports of fertilizer to America. This is something that was discussed, uh, the ramifications were discussed at length previously on The Organic Prepper. But Aiden Tate asks, is it not strange that in the same month we suffered a, a massive fire at a fertilizer plant in North Carolina? And then less than a month later, another large fire erupts at a fertilizer facility in Yakima, Washington? Now he says, through all the reports I've read of the Yakima fire, I've yet to see any mention of anyone being present when the fire started. He says, everything I'm reading makes it sound like a bunch of workers a ways off looked over and noticed a building was on fire all of a sudden. His point is, I'm not ruling out sabotage. As has been pointed out, the damage to these plants is enough that it will impact American fertilizer production for at least three years. Organic farming is the way to go, but the fact of the matter is that commercial farming in the U.S. needs fertilizer. Without it, crops are not going to grow. That's at least three years of an impacted American food supply. Keep in mind that war revolves around logistics. Here's another hinky sign. Putin's family is in a bunker. Yeah, Putin has allegedly moved his entire family into a secret bomb shelter somewhere deep in the heart of Siberia. You know, just normal stuff. Also, Verizon experienced outages last week. Verizon was out late last week throughout the East Coast. While it was only for a matter of hours, it affected almost the entire eastern seaboard. Seaboard, rather. Nothing to see here. Hmm. And Russia Today, America, just shut down permanently. That's the Moscow version of CNN. It's the state-sanctioned propaganda arm of Moscow. Now, the American branch of RT was RT America. Well, they just fired all of their staff and shut down the operation permanently. Now, if this was simply their temporarily laying off employees with the expectation of opening again a few months down the road due to negative public perception, that'd be one thing. But to permanently shut down the office and to fire all the employees, Aiden Tate says that tells me that RT America has zero hopes of staying open for business within the United States for the foreseeable future. Why is that? So, what does this all mean? Somebody asked him last week, how would we know if things were going to begin to herald the dawn of America entering World War III? And his response was that it would be after we saw several strange acts of sabotage reminiscent of the Ukrainian pipelines mysteriously exploding a week before the Russian invasion. Nothing overt, mind you, but instead orchestrated strikes against vital parts of American infrastructure that on the surface didn't seem like they were important for national defense. 
Now, if a military airfield goes down, everybody knows it was the bad guys. But if it's fertilizer plants are catching on fire, well, hey, that's technically possible, right? There's a chance this is just one large coincidence, right? His bottom line is this. Get your house in order. Any preps that you need from overseas or, or are going to need, or they're going to need to be stocked up now rather than later. Food, water, medical supplies, get them all now. Figure out how you're going to communicate with your loved ones when the power goes down. How are you going to communicate with others in your neighborhood? These are the things you need to start thinking about now. Because he says, when I take an honest look at all that's going around me, I can't help but think, well, this bodes well. There are storm clouds on the horizon. And I'm sorry, that's, this, is, this is ending on, on, on a little bit of a uh, somber and scary note. And I guess this is as good a time as any to remind you, there are things that we have control over, there are things that we absolutely do not. This is probably a good time to start sorting out and, and differentiating between those things over which you do have influence and control and the ones that are simply beyond your control. I agree with Aiden Tate. Get your house in order. Strengthen your relationships and your friendships and your family relationships now. Know who you can count on. Put aside a little bit for a rainy day just in case. And above all, turn to God as a source of strength for whatever may be coming. This is The Brian Hyde Show.